It's National Reconciliation Week in Australia, which aims to promote unity as well as participation from all Australians to respect native land and recognise the heritage of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. In this episode of the Perspectives podcast, I'm discussing with my guests how that can be achieved through business, specifically through spending and employment. And what's Gen Z got to do with it? I'm Rebecca Kent, host of this podcast, but before I introduce my guests, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of country, the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, and their spiritual and cultural connection to the land, sea and community. I also pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. And now to my guests, here's Stephanie Roach, Sustainability Manager at Australia Post. I too would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I'm here in um, Melbourne today and where I sit on Burke Street, it's always been an important meeting place for the people of the Kulin Nation, the first Australians. So I'd like to pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging, and really extend that acknowledgement and respect to all of our First Nations people that might be listening. So I've worked at Australia Post for over 13 years now and I do a lot of work around our social and Indigenous procurement programs and also our modern slavery uh, programs work. So really the social side of sustainability. Troy Ruglis of the Indigenous-owned construction and cleaning company PSG Holdings and the part Indigenous-owned Evolve Facilities Management. My um, name's Troy Ruglis. I am the CEO and owner of PSG Holdings and also a director of part owner along with JLL in Evolve FM. Um, I decided to start my own business 10 years ago now. Um, previous life, I was a footballer and worked in the fire brigade and you know, all the good things that come with your youth. And JLL's Henri Fadley. Uh, my name is Henri Fadley. Um, I am the Executive Director of Supply Chain and Procurement at JLL for Australasia. Um, I've been with JLL for three years, but um, I've been in the industry for probably over 25 years, which is showing a little bit my age now, and mostly on procurement, uh, change management, transformation and consulting. Troy, I'll start with you. The theme of this year's National Reconciliation Week is more than a word. How do you interpret that? probably interpret that as um, it's more than talking about um, reconciliation. It's actually actioning it and putting some you know, meat on the bone, so to say, and, and doing what you say you're going to do and reconcile with your know, First Nations people. It's, it's always, I always reflect on things like this when, when they come up, you know, considering I look at my mother, and then my grandfather, who was half Wiradjuri, half Torres Strait Islander, and the lives they had compared to now is, you know, just completely opposite. The opportunity that's arising through, uh, you know, the IPP and work and um, people's understanding of what happened, uh, the real understanding, not what uh, we thought happened, uh, what we know happened. So. Uh, you know, I find that through business, the reconciliation process is has been fantastic. You know, we speak to people like Henri all the time and um, the relationship grows and, and we understand each other and, it, and it's a good thing. From there, you become, you, you reconcile, which is exactly what the word is, and 
um, form really great relationships and friendships. The IPP, I should clarify, is the Indigenous Procurement Policy, which was introduced in 2015 by the Commonwealth Government. Uh, and it's a policy that sets targets for the number and the value of contracts that need to be awarded to Indigenous businesses. Troy, how much is reconciliation a driver of what you do? Oh, it's always in the forefront, but it's, it's also, it can be in the forefront of, of Indigenous businesses, but it has to be in the forefront of the non-Indigenous business too. You need both partners to actually give and understand and actually take a breath and, you know, instead of just cutting the, the head of the snake off, understand, okay, why there is differences. But it's reflecting and understanding what they are and how we work together and, and being a bit more, you know, having a bit of empathy and understanding why are we like, why is an Indigenous business a little bit different? Well, there's reasons why and understanding, okay, now I understand that, we can get through it. And, um, same with Indigenous businesses, understanding non-Indigenous businesses. So it's a give and take sort of thing. And if we can do that, we get, we get results, great results. Great. Thanks, Troy. And Steph, what's Australia Post's approach been to Indigenous procurement? And tell us about some of the outcomes. Absolutely. What Troy just spoke about resonates with me. I think where we've had the most success is where we've really built the relationship first. And with building that relationship becomes trust. And when you have a trusted partner, you're going to have a successful um, partnership. And that's when you're going to get great procurement outcomes. Yeah. Um, and I think that a big part of it is... Uh, taking that time to learn and educate yourself more about uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples and the history. And through that, you, you know, you'll be able to better understand maybe some of the challenges in the space, but the great opportunities too. So I think from an Australia Post perspective, um, we've, had, we've had some great outcomes, but we also have fallen short in other areas. We're, We've come a really long way. We started our journey back in 2010 when we first became a member of Supply Nation. And I remember at the time there wasn't that many certified Indigenous businesses around. We were doing things like catering or printing jobs for our reconciliation action plan. You know, it was a good start, but it probably wasn't really pushing the mark uh, so much. But now our spend is closer to the $20 million mark for annum. And I think that that's a really great achievement. We, we still have a long way to go. We have a $60 million spend target from 2020 to 2022, and we're on track to achieve that, but we also have a 2030 aspiration, which is to spend 3% of our spend with Indigenous businesses and 3% with social enterprises, and we see disability enterprises as a subset of that. And we're a long way off achieving that, but I think that's why it's good to have aspirations because it pushes us to do more. I guess just a, a couple of points I'd like to call out. I don't think it's all about spend either. And I think sometimes we can get a little bit caught up in targets. I'd say some of our biggest successes have been some of the smaller engagements. And I don't think we can't lose sight of the impact that a small contract can have with a small to medium business, especially, especially if it's one that's sustainable and that you're going to support for a long term because it helps them grow and it gives them a foot in the door. Um, it's great to have the big spend contracts too. I think we need a bit of both. So I think where we've seen really a lot of success at Australia Post is people are really passionate about it. People want to engage in this space. They want to they want to work with Indigenous businesses and social enterprises. It makes them feel good about their job. And Australia Post, I think, really attracts people that have that social purpose too. 
I, I know I remember when we were having a bit of a chat about what we might talk in this podcast. I reflected a bit on our um, employees and I've heard so many people from the procurement team talk about when they're at a barbecue on the weekend with their family and friends, they don't necessarily want to talk about the big sort of telco contract or the contract with their IT service provider. They want to talk about the contract they did with that Indigenous business. They want to talk about how they worked with one of their big suppliers in a fleet space to carve out a small contract to give Kuya Fleet an opportunity to get in the supply chain and grow with them because that's creating jobs that's giving people a go and that makes them feel really good about what they're doing. I love a few things that, that Steph said there. It was fantastic to hear. It's, um, you know, that there's still a long way to go. They're doing great things, but it's, it's, it's not the beginning, really. It's been 10 years of supply nation now, formerly AMSI, and there is a long way to go, even though there's been, I was actually on a, on the Connect um, forum just before we, we've got together and there were some figures that I heard Laura Berry, the CEO, splash about. I just wrote it down just a, a 10 years ago, before the IPP, the whole Indigenous spend, uh, business spend was $6.3 million. So we only talked about wow. 11 years ago. Now it's over 900 in 10 years. So that's some of the, and there still is a long way to go. Um, you know, it's all, all good, but it's not not to stop it. There's so much more to do. And and morally and ethically, like Stephanie said, there's always been champions within businesses that I think would try to do this anyway. And they're the people that we like to connect with that they've actually got that moral compass. So, you know, I want to do this because it's the right thing to do, not just because there's a uh, an incentive with the IPP to do it. You mentioned Supply Nation there, and for listeners who don't know, that's an organisation that helps connect Indigenous suppliers with businesses that have contracts to fill. Uh, in fact, we spoke to Laura Berry not very long ago on this podcast, so do check that out. Um, Steph, you talk about Australia Post's employees getting more engaged in Indigenous procurement. At JLL, we talk a lot about Gen Y, but particularly Gen Z being driven professionally by values and purpose. Is that how you'd categorise some of the workers that you're referring to? Absolutely. I think it's, um, you know, it's a little bit multi-pronged. Um, I think there's just people all across the business who are passionate about it and they pick it up and roll with it and run with it because they want to do it. We are absolutely seeing that the new generation that's coming through wants wants to work on purpose-driven initiatives. Like they, they want to have something positive to talk about and to engage with. And I think that um, when, like where we've seen the biggest success and even when there's maybe been some people that are on board but just see it as something a bit too hard to do, we've brought in a beneficiary. We've brought in someone that either owns the business or runs the business or an Indigenous person that's been employed and given a go because we decided to procure from them. And that introduction is game-changing because that puts a face behind why we're doing it and it makes the person um, from Australia Post they're impacted. They don't just go back to their desk and say, okay, I'm just going to do the easy thing and stick with my current supplier because they're like, okay, I actually remember that that person was given a really good go and I have the opportunity to do more of that. And it makes them start thinking about it. I think the more that we see young people come through, the more they want to go and want to do stuff in this space. And it, it, it is so good for employee engagement. And we know how important that is for big companies. Like they want to have engaged and employee staff 
and happy staff because then you have happy customers and you make money. Like Indigenous yep. procurement just makes good business sense. Henri, Steph and Troy have both outlined some really great spending achievements there, but a long way still to go? Uh, well, look, uh, like I, I go back to what Stephanie and Troy mentioned. So in, in, in recent years, most of commitment in relation to Indigenous participation has been volume or spend driven, where we can go and commit to a percentage of the spend, which we achieved some some great numbers and great results there uh, on behalf of the clients. Um, but I think there is still other aspects, like Charles said, we need to work on. Um, uh, for example, um, employment. And we're seeing a trend at the moment uh, with um, some of our clients who are asking us targets not only related to um, to spend, but also to, to employment, which is in some aspects is difficult to, to achieve. Um, uh, from the simple fact that, um, you know, uh, there is turnover, and especially on the low paid and minimum wages roles. Um, and uh, and the other aspect, there is not enough indigenous workforce large enough to, to basically be employed across all our client base. Um, so from a GLS perspective, where, uh, where we're aiming is basically long-term employment, for example, and, and creating wealth, um, especially for indigenous communities. So what are we doing about it? Uh, so what we've been doing recently is partnering with some of our major vendors and committing to some kind of apprenticeship for indigenous uh, communities. Um, because for me, committing to that program, we can get in a lot more indigenous people from low paid minimum wages roles to a more a technical and specialized roles. Um, and you're gonna teach somebody a skill for life. Um, but also in the future, they can become their own contractor or subcontractors and therefore themselves as well hiring other indigenous uh, workforce or even opening their own organizations. Um, also, picking up on Troy's um, uh, comment that it's not enough, the current model is not enough, I, I completely agree. Um, at the moment, if we see the concentration of indigenous businesses is around few categories, especially around the hygiene and cleaning um, uh, category. So we've seen a lot of organization there. Uh, I think from all the industry, we need to focus more on diversifying that footprint and making sure that we have more indigenous organization in trade services, a lot more fire organization, hedgeback companies, and, and so on, and not just stay within that uh, cleaning uh, category, which is I think we all have a responsibility to, to do, but also growing the footprint. Um, so if we have, and this is basically our target within JLL, if we have a small vendors where they're doing services in one town or two town, um, whether in New South Wales, whether in WA or NT, how we can go that vendor to do now 10 towns in the, within the next six months, how they can do a region in the next year, how they can do a state and potentially how to grow them to be a national company. And I think that's where we should be focusing basically our, our attention. Okay, but how do you actually execute that next step? How JLA can, can be 
So we, we've done it already. Uh, we've been so. If if I look back to three years when I walked into to to, to GLL, um, we were focusing on giving small um, uh, accounts to our indigenous partners, but also where in the areas where they currently uh, doing services. Uh, for example, if they are delivering services in a small town in WA, we always keep them there. And we never try to give them the opportunities, grow them, uh, commit, um, you know, to growing that company, you know, mentoring them and show them how they can do it. Um, so for the last three years, we completely changed our strategy and we said, how we can do that? How can we commit to this organization? And what we've done in, the, in for the last three years is making sure we can find other partners with them that they can enter some kind of joint ventures. And we were very successful with that model where we have a lot of um, already established major national organization entering in a joint venture with a smaller smaller vendor, which they own the majority. And that company was able to help them grow, not only from a performance and quality perspective, but also around system processes. And now we're in a, in a, in a the fortunate position that in some of the categories, we have some indigenous businesses. Now, some of them are 100% indigenous owned, some of them are 51%. They can be national vendors, but also can compete with the largest organization out there, not only from a service delivery and quality, but also pricing. With PSG, it's a perfect example. I think one other way it can work is that there are some really capable indigenous businesses now and quite large. So. We've done a job out of Wayland called the Aboriginal Centre of Excellence. It was around $20, $25 million. And they asked me, will you meet the target of 3%? I said, meet the target. I think in a future job, I'll be able to get 100%. They said, what? 100% spent. So we hit 50%. So they said, how did you do that? I said, well, we're in Indigenous business. We know that the environment, we know the climate, I know what people can do, and it's, it's so much easier for an Indigenous business to get, engage an Indigenous business. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a hundred times more likely they've had figures that say that. I don't know how close it is, but more likely a hundred times uh, an Indigenous business will engage an Indigenous business, so it's easier. Troy, I, I completely agree. They are, like, that's why we're in a fortunate position that there are some major organizations right now that can compete with the big boys out there. But, Troy, I think the question, is there enough of them? No, yeah, that's right. Maybe not. Um, yeah. But the ones not that yet. are there and the outcomes yeah. for those Indigenous businesses to come through and become one of them, that's how it's going to happen. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I know PSG is a great success story, so well done, Troy. So we need more of PSGH. <laughs> Thank you, brother. <laughs> I think um, this conversation makes me um, so excited that we've got JLL on board now because there's there's a few things that I want to reflect back on that um, covering off of what both you've said, but I know from like the Australian Post perspective, it took us a long time to achieve our 3% target for our Indigenous workforce. and. I think what I'm probably more proud of is that we've got really good retention. Um, but then I look at what we want to do in our supply chain. And when you engage with Indigenous businesses, exactly to your point, Troy, they smash the targets. Yeah. But it's the engagement. They've got the trust and the respect. And 
I think that we can just have such a huge social impact by working with more and more Indigenous businesses. Um, and another point I think that it's in, important to touch on here and something that probably sat quite uncomfortably with me a few years ago was looking at the spread of the social enterprises and Indigenous businesses that we engage with and that they were really more in the blue collar or lower paid space. And I think it's fine to have the opportunities there, and that's where the, a lot of the large spend is. But you know, we really want to do a better job at getting a better spread of opportunities. And I think we had a couple of good success stories. We've got Salvo Legal as a social enterprise on our legal service panel. One of my favourite stories was we got Inspire Travel um, to finally come on and provide professional services um, to Australia Post and have that whole like an idea of how we can train them up and then move them into other jobs in different areas and unfortunately COVID hit and they went under. Um, that, that's a big focus and I think it's really on all of us and particularly on corporates to step up and say if we really want our supply chains to be reflective of the community and society we need to make sure that we give um, and find a better spread of opportunities. Um, and it's the same with um, within your own workforce as well. Like, do you have enough representation at those more senior levels? And it's something that we should all sort of reflect back on and make sure that we have a focus. Stephanie's just reminded me that, like, if I look at PSG, um, you know, close to 200 employees, like, without even trying, we sit somewhere between 25 and 45% Indigenous employment. So it's close to sometimes 100 staff out of 200. And like, we don't really, well, we do try, but they come to us as well. And our engagement of, of our female employees is it's more than half, it's 64%. But they're things that, I don't know, it, it's funny, someone asked me about our, our female employment. And I honestly said, I didn't even try to do that. I just think the person that was best suited to that job got the job. Mm -hmm. So I think sometimes being an Indigenous business and growing up with women, a lot of women in my family, <laughs> um, you don't even look at it. And that's where I'd like other businesses to be. Like in the end, the IPP is there to help an Indigenous business get a fair go. So an equal opportunity as non-Indigenous businesses. And once you're there, um, you can compete on a level playing field. And we win a lot of work, repeat work because of our performances. So I think people actually might use an Indigenous business to start because of the IPP and there's policy and there's different targets. But the repeat work comes through you doing a good job and building these relationships. And that's what I think a lot of Indigenous businesses do really well, form those relationships and do a fantastic job. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Steph, a 2030 aspiration for Australia Post is 3% of all spending to go towards Indigenous businesses. What are your strategies to achieve that? I think um, the thing where we've probably, I guess, had missed opportunities or missed the mark a bit is not doing enough forward planning. Um, our, the biggest success we've had um, is when we have done capacity building projects and worked with Indigenous businesses to get them to a place where they're ready to tender for our business and they've been successful. But too often we're just going forward and procuring and just so time poor that we invite them to tender and they miss the mark and they don't get the opportunity and it's gone for another three years. 
Um, and it's not because they're um, not capable and not competitive. It's just that we need to do a little bit more work and mentoring up front and they can absolutely deliver um, just as good, if not even better, because they have social outcomes too than the other businesses. So we're really carving out some time to do some deeper thinking and analysis on future opportunities. So we're kind of saying to ourselves, what's our procurement spend going to look like in 2025 and even in 2030, Australia post fleet, where are we going to be spending our most money and where are the biggest opportunities and what foundations do we need to start laying now with Indigenous businesses so that we can help plan and do some prep and whatever capacity building we need to do so we can slowly bring them into our supply chain and they can grow with our business. Okay, Stephanie Roach from Australia Post, Troy Ruglis, PSG Holdings and Evolve FM and Henri Fadley of JLL, thank you ever so much. I wish you not only a very successful National Reconciliation Week but also successful partnerships that will help close the gap between Indigenous and non-Indigenous businesses. Thanks very much. Thank you, everyone. Thank, thank you, Tony, Troy, Rebecca, thank, thank you. You're listening to JLL's Perspectives podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Rebecca Kent.